At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. And welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Sean Lemon of The Digital Organizer. He and his team are there to help you get organized, stay organized with virtual one-on-one coaching that transforms your digital workspace from chaos to order. And in this conversation, we dive deep into the importance and power of digital organizing. We talk about how it can positively impact both your personal and your professional life, the impact that disorganization and clutter has on our ability to focus and be creative, and how you're probably wasting a lot of time that you aren't aware of, time that adds up when accumulated, when you can't find things or you can't figure out how to communicate something, and your digital workspace is, let's face it, a mess. We explore the benefits of creating systems that are intuitive and easy to follow, how this leads to improved efficiency, reduced stress, not just for you, but also for those you work and live with. And we talk about the importance of consolidating tools and resources within an organization and how this can lead to smoother workflows and better communication. So get ready to be inspired to get digitally organized. And let's jump into this conversation with Sean Lemon. Real quick, before we dive in, though, make sure you're signed up for our newsletter. Each week, you'll get an announcement and recap of the latest episode, links to related episodes you might have missed, exclusive content, and my top three weekly finds to supercharge your productivity. Just drop your email address in over at beyondthetodolist.com. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Sean Lemon. Sean, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. Thank you. I'm excited to hang out with you. I'm excited to have you here, too. You're part of, actually, you started, I should say, the digital organizer. And so, obviously, we're talking all about digital organization. We'll talk about the why behind that, the how behind that. But before any of that, I want to know, like, obviously, you're not just a digital. Well, none of us are just digital people. We're all analog people, but we work right. in, a, in a very digital world. You started the digital organizer in 2013, but up until that point, like, what's your origin story here? Why did you feel like there was a need for digital organization? Yeah, so I worked at the Apple Store for almost seven years as a creative. So some people who are diehard Apple fans might know what the creative role was, but it's kind of on the same level of genius. But instead of your stuff is broken and you're taking it to someone of, you know, you're upset. You're actually really excited to come see a creative because I'm going to show you how to use your stuff well. And so the creative was there to, yeah, teach people how to use Apple products. But I'd have these clients come in who they bought the new thing. They're so excited about creating and then they get their information transferred from their old computer onto this new one and they want me to show them how to use it, but they have such a mess they can't get past the mess to the creation part. 
and some of the projects were really big and we weren't set up for that. And I would rework the entire schedule and be like, oh, I'm available this time and this time and only here. And I'm swapping with other trainers to try and keep working with this person because the project was big and I really wanted to be able to help them. And no one else was doing it. The Apple consultants and other IT consultants, they just want to make sure your computer's up and running and fast and, you know, get you set up with the app and then go for it. I don't care how you use it. Like that's not, that's not my job. So that's what I am into is how do I help you actually figure this out so that you can create and get this under control? And uh, since no one else was doing it, I said, I'm going to start my own thing and help people out. So it sounds like you'd like to be or know you are skilled at being a practitioner slash guide to the digital tools, not just to have them, but to really use them creatively. Yeah, it's like uh, I'm a tech interpreter. And those are the people that work with us is we're interpreters so that we we understand the tech and we also understand human. So it's figuring out, yeah, how do we teach you what you need to know to be able to create and to to really understand each part of it? And most people, they're like, I want to get the most out of this. I'd ask, why are you here today? Like, what do you want to get out of today's session? Well, I want to learn how to take advantage everything that this thing does. I want to use its maximum potential. Like, well, you're never going to do that, right? I mean, the technology has so much potential. So what is it that you really want to do? And let me help you understand how that works and how you're going to apply it to get what you want done, because we can do a lot with it. But I mean, where is your time best spent playing with this tool all day long? Or is it actually creating something and interacting with the world? You mentioned creativity and creating with the tool, but you also mentioned the digital mess that they come carrying, you know, not physically, not analog wise, but digital as they're transferring to a new device. And what do you see as the correlation between that, for lack of a better term, digital hoarding? How does that obstruct, block, even psychologically, emotionally? A lot of us, I don't think, are aware of that, but I think I am. I think you are too. Like, what do you see as that? kind of correlation slash blocker to actually creating because of that digital hoarding mess? Yeah, that's a good question. When it comes to creation, there's more than just the fun part. There's a lot of other steps to it. That's where David Allen and anything that comes from, uh, you know, getting things done, project management, you have to break down the different tasks. So there's a part of the creative process that's often drudgery, you know, And so if there's too much of that, it can prevent people from actually wanting to do it. And some of us just can't stand having things not taken care of as well. And so we want to be able to clear the decks and we can't see what the outcome is that we really want because we believe that a mess needs to be taken care of first. I think each one of us have a different background that play into how we think and what we value. And so We've got a lot of people who feel very strongly that they need to have everything nice and tidy, neat and organized. And so we've got to finish up before the end of the day. We're not going to eat until we finish the project. If you grow up on a farm, you know, it's like we've got to finish this harvest. There are these principles that were introduced to us when we were young that play out in our everyday lives. And so. Yeah, it's a lot of unconscious beliefs that kind of drive this, that that we feel like things have to be taken care of. 
I think that's one piece of the puzzle. And then the drudgery can be hard and not wanting to do that. You want to create, but you don't want to clean up and you feel like you need to clean up first. Well, you're describing me in college. I used to always in college, I would have to clean my room and clean my desk off and put things away and make my bed. And then I could sit at the desk and then I would open my computer, my big Dell laptop. Well, the the screen was like 13 inches, but it was a Dell, not a laptop, but a desktop. And anyway, how do you get people to get on board with decluttering, like getting through that mess? But to the point of being able to to do actual work, because it seems to me like for me, from my personal experience, there's that possibility of, again, procrastination and fiddling constantly, like some people do with their to-do list apps. You know, oh, I can move it here. Oh, let me find the best time. Oh, I can optimize and I can tweak and I can, you know, same thing can apply here. How do you coach people to get through to maintain the right balance, I guess, between good enough but better than completely a mess. Yeah. Well, we have to get really clear on the outcome. I think that's the biggest part is really understanding what your priorities are and knowing what's important. And then I really want to help you dig deep to find what's that internal driver that is our core motivation and how can we tie that task to that thing that's driving you. So You know, for me, it can be easy to procrastinate on things. And I like to organize everything, especially when I have a task that I don't want to do. Then what do I want to do? Organize. I want to clear the decks. I want to take care of these other things. But the core things that drive me are delivering for my clients and showing up for my family. So it's really important to me that I stop by a certain time and that I'm staying engaged with my family. And so that drives a big part of it. That drive can also help me procrastinate. Oh, I really, you know, I want to see my son on this little break real quick. Let me go do something. So that can be, oh, I hear something fun is happening. Maybe I'll go and check that out instead of continuing along with the task. So I've also got a driver of clients of wanting to make sure that I deliver on what I say, whether it's a business partner or anyone, I want to be able to deliver and show up. And so when there's important work to be done, but that's not urgent, then that can be hard for me to continue on to the important work when I have a request that isn't that timely, but I want to show up and I want to respond, then I might might want to go do that email instead of actually do the important task. So I have to tie what's important about that task that is going to drive the connection with my family more time, quality time with my family and higher quality work and better responsiveness with my clients and the entire experience, both with my employees and, you know, if they're working with me, how can I do that? And so it's trying to find that emotional anchor of what is that motivation? And then also we got to automate things as much as possible. And so figure out that system so that I don't have to think about it and I don't have to decide. So emotional anchors, and automation. And automation doesn't necessarily mean a tool, right? It's we have to figure out what's the outcome, what's the process, you know, all of those things. And then once we figure that out, we can use a tool later, but automation starts with us. It sounds a lot like you're describing when someone, again, if we go into that scenario of someone brings you a device 
and it's full of stuff. It's almost like one of those TLC or anyway, one of those home shows where we could even just call it hoarders where they come in and it's like, okay, yes, there's a lot of homework to be done. Yes. There's a lot of heavy lifting digitally, figuratively, or literally here to be done. But once it's done, you have this clear open space and it's now not about setting up the system. It's about showing how to or simplifying the maintaining of the system. In other words, once you have a clear kitchen and everything's organized in the right drawers and things like that, then you can use it so much easier and you know not just how to use it quickly, but how to put things back where they go quickly. There's less friction. You know where things go. You know where to find them. The garage is clear. You can park the cars in there. You can pull them in and out without any problem. All the sports equipment or bikes are up out of the way until you need them. You know, all of this metaphorically, but in your digital workspace. It's once you get to that point that you want to keep it there. So let's take, you know, the key ring hook for an example. So I've got a hook around my door uh, where I put my keys. And so that's an automation. So I got tired of forgetting where my keys were and having to search around for them. So we put a hook on the wall for me to put them. So I walk in to the house plenty of times and I forget to put my keys on the hook. But then I feel them in my pocket and I say, oh, that's not where those go. And I can go and put them back because I love knowing where my keys are. You know, it's that same thing with my desktop. My desktop right now has three files on it. So it's not always clear, but my desktop is usable, just like the desktop, you know, here in my office that I may put some files down for a second because I'm working on some things. But when it's time to process and I recognize, oh, I was moving fast and I didn't pay attention. It's very easy to get back on track, especially if you set up the system in a way that it's really easy. Like the keys are on a hook right there. It's not some drawer. I don't have to go into a bunch of different places or open up one drawer, then open up a box and do something else. You know, and that's alluding to a complicated filing system that we don't want. You don't want to create some super deep file structure that it's hard to get to things. So once you get there and you actually organize, that's part of the motivation that will keep you motivated in staying organized is all of a sudden you like this transformation. And you like the tidiness. It can actually make you feel a little disoriented, though, at first. Anyone who's making a big change will experience some disorientation and a tendency to go back to what they were doing before because their neural networks are established of going down that specific path of doing the same thing over and over again. So once we change that system, sometimes it can feel a little weird like, am I really done? Like, I don't have 30,000 unread emails in my inbox, and I just got to zero or close to it. I've got five left, but, you know, I can't answer these right now, so they're just going to sit here. Am I really done? Like, do I need to go find something else? I can feel a little weird at first. We have to actually have to tell people that sometimes. I'm like, hey, if you want to go back to the other way, like, it's okay to feel that. Just stay on course, and it's actually going to change. And you may feel like, Am I doing enough? (laughs) It's like, no, you're done. You accomplished it. Often, I think it's been more than a year now, but my daughter and I, we keep saying to each other in the kitchen, oh my gosh, I keep forgetting. It's not every day. It's not even every month. It's like once every three months now, we, instead of going to the old drawer for the silverware, we go to, uh, or instead of going to the new one, we go to the old one. And then we, you know, like slap our face and we're like, oh my gosh, why am I doing that? 
it's just random. That neural pathway is so worn that even though 99% of the time when I need to go grab a fork, a spoon, a knife, whatever, we go to the correct drawer, that other time, it's like that still hangs on. It's that phantom habit, so to speak. Yeah, totally. It's funny, I actually use a similar analogy to that when I'm talking to someone about organization and that in helping them realize that this isn't going to be perfect and our lives change and we create an ideal of like, this is the flow and this is how I think I do things. And then you realize, actually, I don't do it that way. We may need to make an adjustment to get it to the ideal. And the example is, Sometimes we move to a new place. We think this is the ideal spot for the silverware drawer, but we keep reaching for another drawer that we didn't put the silverware in. Well, instead of just training your brain to go to this new drawer, why don't we just move it? And that way we don't have that friction. So let's move things around and work with what our tendencies are, even if it doesn't make logical sense or someone else might think that that's a stupid place to put that folder. You know, if that's where you want to go, Why try and force yourself into that? It's doomed to fail at that point. Yeah, I think for us, it's just a matter of we had been in this house for four years straight with it in one place. And now the last year and a half, two years, I'd have to make a guess on that. It's been in the correct place. It's the right. It's way better. Trust me, it is way better. We all know it is. But it's just that once in a while, you just think, oh, right. Duh, it's over here now. And it's just so random. So anyway. Yeah, it's so interesting. I'm curious. So obviously there's there's a lot of benefit here, but when people come to you, they obviously have needs. I'm assuming a lot of them don't need a real like sales pitch from you as to why, but I think some probably still do as to why being organized digitally is a benefit. What do you say to those people? Yeah, so what most people don't realize is how much the clutter is causing anxiety and a lack of focus and what that's contributing to of this underlying feeling of things aren't taken care of. So actually a guest of yours, my sister-in-law, Megan Hyatt Miller. So I was working with her years ago on something totally unrelated. I can't even remember what it was. And I saw that her inbox had a ridiculous amount of unread emails. I'm like, oh, we should deal with it. She's like, oh no, like it doesn't bother me. I, I can search for what I need and, you know, and I see what I need and, you know, it's no big deal. And I just kept pushing him like, can you please just let me help you with this? And she's like, finally, let's go and says, okay, sure. So we do it. We go through the process and archive all of the email that's past a certain date. We process the most recent. We end up using an automation tool, SaneBox, to help filter newsletters out of the inbox so that she's only got email from people in there. And cut it down so that she didn't have this ridiculous number. Well, two days later, she comes to me and says, I had no idea how stressed out I was about email. Now that that's gone, I feel so much better when I open up my computer and I sit at my computer. We don't think about the chain reaction of what distraction really costs us. You know, personally, it's, you know, can play out a number of different ways, but professionally, Let's take a look at, you know, we've got a, say, a coaching company that's got a program where they send people through. Well, the client has a question, so they ask their coach. So, you know, the client couldn't find what they needed that was supposed to be updated on the site. So they search around, how much time did that client search for that solution or whatever they needed? 
until they finally reach out to the coach. How long did it take from the moment of reaching out till the coach saw the email? And how much time did it take the coach to look it up and try and figure out the solution? And then if they couldn't find it, then because they're new, they lean on the senior staff member who knows where all the bodies are buried. So there's that time delay until it finally gets to that person. Of course, they can find it in a few seconds or maybe a few minutes. So it's not that big of a deal, but it distracts them from what they're doing. And it's annoying. And they realize, gosh, why do we still have all this stuff in Basecamp when we should be using Google Drive? But she gets the file and delivers it. How much time between that delivering till the coach gets it from the coach to finally get back to the client? I mean, that's just ridiculous. When if we recognize the problem, the coach could have just gone to the centralized place to retrieve that file or see, oh, it's not here. Let me update it with the newest information. And, you know, and the whole thing is solved and we don't have clients asking us anymore in the first place. There's just such a chain reaction of people who are affected by the cost of disorganization. A lot of people don't realize the cost beyond themselves. Like, oh, it only took me like, you know, five minutes to find that. But who else is paying the cost? And that's sometimes what, what we ask in our discovery call with someone of like, who's really paying the cost of this disorganization of you not being organized and not being able to say, yes, I can do it or I can't or not being able to deliver because you can't find something. You know, it's pretty far reaching when you don't have your own stuff under control. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've got like three different thoughts here. Number one, that disorganization or maybe what doesn't seem like disorganized to one person 
but it multiplies, like you're saying there. It's multiplied yeah. by each person that's in there or around there or needs that. And then the flow of communication, seconds become minutes become, and I could keep going, but I won't. It just compounds and it's not in an addition method It's or mode. It's a, it's a multiplication mode. The thing you said about email makes me think of sometimes when you see people's, you know, early on days, everybody had notifications turned on and I still think turn them off as much as possible on devices, but they would have the little red dot and it would be like, Hey, seven, 20. And I've seen some people 10,000, something, something emails. And I'm like, that's almost the equivalent of that meme where it's the cartoon dog sitting in the diner with all the fire around him and says, this is fine. You're pretending you're, you're in denial. You're being naive. So <laughs> that example makes me think of that. It's like, yeah, you may think and you may even say to yourself, no, this is fine. But you don't realize like the psychological and stress weight that you have on yourself. And that's not to say you have to have a zero things in your inbox at all times, but it's, it's definitely different from that. You mentioning that people having files in one place and then somebody else goes there and base camp and then Google Drive and like made me think, okay, so you're obviously working with organizations and they're across multiple systems. And that I think right there, I have come up against that. I think probably too many to count with different positions, roles, et cetera. How do you begin to figure out and coach people through and, and work with them to figure out which systems are necessary or which systems are compatible? Or in other words, we've got all these systems. You don't need all of them, but they think they do. How do you help them that way? Well, sometimes we just have to get down to brass tacks and realize that we can't do it all. And the more people we add to the mix and the more tools that we add to the mix, the more everyone has to learn and they all have to have this consistent behavior. And that's really hard in an organization. It's just impossible. So you have somebody who's, you know, started off small and, you know, at the beginning, everyone can use whatever tool that they want because there's five people and, you know, we're just getting it done and we're growing really quickly and we add someone else and, you know, we're just getting work done then the tools add up. But then usually it's everyone realizes that there's a problem. Maybe not always. Sometimes somebody has to, you know, throw a flag on the field and say, hey, this is getting out of hand. You know, then we have to communicate to everyone like, hey, you know how you've got to go to Slack to check notifications and you got 30 different channels that are unread and you've got all these DMs that you can't find, you know, that specific to do item and you're supposed to respond to this and you've got these messages in Asana and you've got your email and you've got your phone and you're using Voxer and you're using Grasshopper and you've got all these other tools and you can't really find what you need. Well, we want to consolidate that so that we only have a few channels so that you know what's important and what you need to check. Okay. You can start getting people on board once you really describe the pain that they're going through and say, we've got a solution to that. And this is what we're trying to figure out. And it also, we want to invite people into the process to say, what is important about that tool? What's the heart of why are we using this? And how can we take the intention behind the use of that tool and develop a system or just educate someone that that can be done in a tool that everyone else is using. So those are a couple of strategies of how we can get people on board with consolidating tools. And I imagine as I have come into friction with some of this, onboarding can be streamlined then as well. Oh my gosh, yeah. 
one of the worst things to happen is you're starting something new and then suddenly the onboarding feels like you'll never get through it. It feels like it's a never ending. Like, when do I get get it to my real stuff? No, you got to finish the onboarding, but it's all over the place and it's sporadic and it's jump here to do this. And I don't remember where it is. I wish I could find it, but there was some, I think it may have been a TikTok video somebody made where it's like he was going through and just exacerbating the problem of talking about this. You know, he was using once you've scrolled to the such and such and he was inserting all these weird made up Internet company words like once you've gone to bloggle, you go here and click the something something and then you share that to the and it was just like I was laughing, but I was also like crying and dying inside because I was like, totally. I've been through that. We've all been through yeah. that. Yeah. You know, there's a study. They say that good onboarding accounts for 84% higher retention rates or something like that, 82, 84, something like that. But that's the problem with onboarding. Why it takes so long is these spread out tools. And that's what I was talking about, the senior staff members being leaned on for where the bodies are buried. It's like, oh yeah, we used to have all these other tools that if once we consolidate those tools, we get the resources in one place. We've really defined what the process looks like that we go through to deliver our service or create a product or get it to market or whatever. Then it's much easier to train. We can create videos on it and go through this whole process and you can onboard someone so much faster, like pulling all passwords into a good password manager, not LastPass. Let's use the one password or something, you know, where you can create a vault based on people's roles. So when someone gets hired for that, you just invite them to the specific vaults that they need access to, and they've got access to those passwords. And the two-step verification codes are already integrated, so we don't have to have the, who's got the text message? Oh, they're on vacation, and we can't get in. So, you know, you do that, and onboarding goes from a three-month process to a three-week process? Maybe even shorter. We've got one company that we're about to start working with. Their onboarding process is three months before they start working with individual clients. And the shadowing and the resources, it's just stuff is so incredibly spread out. I cannot wait to see what the transformation is on the other side once we pull all this stuff together. I'm, I'm so eager to see the results of that project. But I just feel so bad for employees that it's, you know, when they, they come into a new environment and they've got all of these channels to check. It's incredibly overwhelming. I was working with one company. They used to deliver a sheet, a PDF. I think it's like a two-page PDF of acronyms. Wow. Yeah, that's, that is a lot, you know, and it's two weeks of onboarding that it's just a complete fire hose and then get to work and still like, where do we find all this stuff is, you know. I will say this though. I have been in a position previously where having a PDF with all the acronyms and what they mean that I know, oh, I don't know what that acronym is and could go to it and just type in, you know, search and just type it in and have the answer, you know, highlighted would actually have saved me time. Now, there's probably a better way. Obviously, you're laughing because you, you know there's there a better is way. There's a better way. But even that bad way would be a better way than some of the things I've experienced. Totally. Yeah. And you got to applaud them for recognizing that and doing something about it. But we took it to the next step and we used, uh, this is a, a, an Apple-based company. So we set them up with Text Expander and all of the acronyms were put in Text Expander. So if you type in a semicolon BBC, it's going to fill in the thing for you so you understand what it is. And also 
they were trying to get people to stop using the acronyms. That was the hard part. Uh, and that's the hardest thing is once you introduce them, then everyone starts doing it. And when the staff uses the acronym, so did the customers. And so then everyone's just referring to your stuff as acronyms instead of the actual product. So now if you're outside of the culture, then you don't know what these people are talking about. So you're kind of missing out on some advertising opportunities. Yeah. Love, 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 love text expander using it for years now. And, you know, I should have, see, that's the thing I shouldn't have had to, but since you've said it, I don't need it now, but man, I wish I could go back to past self into the DeLorean and just say, Hey, use text expander for those acronyms. And at least I would have had them saved for me every time a new one came along that I didn't know. And I found the answer, but again, you come in and you help everybody. I'm curious, how do you begin the process? Obviously, Somebody higher up enough says, we need this. Sean, come help us or you and your team. And you come in. What does that process look like in terms of assessing the need? Because you've got all these different things. Like, obviously, we've brought up there's email, there's files, and files could be anything. It can be media. It can be, you know, everything digital that's a different form or format of a file databases, you know, contacts, all these different kinds of things. How do you assess that? Because I know, obviously, some people are like, we need to contact Sean and have him come in. So this can be a little window into your process. Yeah. So first off, we've had to narrow down that scope to make sure that we can do something well. And we started to systematize what that process looks like. And so it actually looks pretty similar from an individual all the way to an organization because it's just at scale. So what is the process? Well, the first of the process is always discovery of what do we have? What's the problem? Why does that problem exist? What's working well? What's not working? What's the cost? And really trying to figure all of that stuff out. And actually, a lot of the first part of the process is trying to figure out the cost because the bigger the organization, the more it's not so much an emotional decision, but a data-driven decision of, hey, if we're going to do this, there needs to be an ROI. So figuring out what that is. And that's also the motivation of how we're going to communicate with the people that we work with to say, hey, we're doing this for your benefit. And like, this isn't just, I'm not trying to put more on your plate. We're helping make you more efficient. So a lot of it is figuring out what is that problem. By the way, we work in four primary areas. And so that's going to be email, files, passwords, and project management. Fifth area is data migrations, and it's often with files, the stuff spread out all over the place, or you're using GoDaddy email, you want to get into Google Workspace, we got to migrate you in. So what are the problems? Sometimes that's screen sharing. Sometimes it's just someone like really giving us kind of an in-depth description of what that looks like. And it's like, okay, cool. So depending on what we've got going on, that lets us know about how much work we think it'll take to get going there. And so what the process looks like once we get going is, okay, let's do a deep dive into the sprawl, what's there. And let's keep the focus on one thing at a time. So if we're doing files, let's just focus on files. And where is everything? Why is it here? How did it get here? What's working? What's not? All right, let's get a plan together. How are you working with other people? And then we need to consolidate everything together. And we've got to figure out what's relevant. So what do we need to keep, delete, and archive? Figuring out, you know, talking through those strategies, educating people on why are we going to archive? Why are things worth being deleted or keeping? And from there, what's a file structure look like for actually how you work? 
not what are the assets that you have so that we can classify them and put them in folders. What is your process? That way, when you're doing that task, you have all of the things at hand. And then if that process goes on to the next person, what's that person's need? And so that way we know what to archive and what it means to finish this up and then pass it off to the next person. So we need to understand that process and create a good file structure for it. Then we also need to figure out a naming convention as well that we can use overall across the organization. But that's not always going to fit for certain types of things. Your authors are not going to want to start off every file with a date. (laughs) They might want to do versions and things like that. So everyone kind of has their own quirks and what is most important for these files. And so sometimes we have to adapt it. So figuring out what that naming convention looks like so that things are searchable. And then we've got to have a great archiving strategy so that things that aren't relevant don't show up in search results, except for certain gatekeepers. So it's like, hey, I need to find this thing, whatever, then they know who to go to and, and maybe they go find it. But just so that it's removed from the main system so it doesn't clog things up. And also we're keeping the work that is relevant right now up at the top of the list. So for example, if you're you got clients, the clients that you're working with right now are at the top level of the folder. Prospects and people that you finish working with or that are inactive right now, they have their own section. And those are also folders in there, but you've got to go deeper. We're only seeing our current clients up at the top. So it's a little bit different way of organizing, but it's it's all about the discovery of how do you work so that we can set it up properly and we take key point people through that process so that they learn and it's being created based on that business. And those people that you take through that, they're on the other side of it. They realize, they see, oh my gosh, in a sense, they get to be your ambassadors inside of the organization and they can sell others on that vision of, oh my gosh, they did this for me. And now because they're the intermediary, in a sense, they can express the pain point to the rest of them and say, remember how it used to be this way? Well, now it's this way. Do you see how much better that is? And even some of the people who are like, well, but I like the old way. At least you get more people on board quicker, faster. You know, one thing to think about of like, for the people who are resisting the change, sometimes we just have to say, this is the way we're doing it. What I've found is I'm 37. Most of the other business owners that I know that are around my age or younger have a hard time with that. And we're constantly catering to the other people around us or even to clients or vendors of like, sure, we can, you know, do it this way. And, and they want to have the best company and be the best boss ever. But best boss ever doesn't mean you always say yes. It means being a great leader and being supportive. It's like there's a whole other thing to that. But sometimes we just have to say, this is your responsibility and this is this is what we're expecting of you. And for the good of your fellow employees and everyone else who comes after you, we do it this way and we're proud of that, that, that we keep things organized and we do it nice and neat and we're respectful of other people's time and realize that you just create something, throw it in a folder and don't do anything according to plan and everyone else has to work around you and figure out what you're doing. That's not very respectful of other people. And we've got to, we've got to get people on board. 
Well, and again, it goes back to the one person's looking for a thing and then can't find it. So then messages or emails somebody else who then also doesn't know where it is and so on. And that cascading effect is what you're trying to eliminate. And it's not just cascading, but it's like I said before, it's not just addition of minutes that are being used on busy work and admin work, shuffling digital paperwork or trying Mm -hmm. to find it in the first place. It's multiplying. It's not just adding, but it's multiplying. And so the weakest person or weakest link, I guess you should say, is still holding everybody back, even though they don't think they are, they don't intend to, they're upbeat, they're happy, but like, they just don't want to get along with it. But again, long-term major changes, again, being the best boss ever, like you said, doesn't mean making everybody happy, but at the same time, it's about making those tough calls and saying, no, the the validity of this decision and this change and this overhaul and this decluttering and then reorganizing and having everything streamlined and working better so that we all can do not just faster work, but better work is the ultimate goal. Totally. And we can make it easy. Like, you know, when we like using Google drive and setting people up with Google drive, and if you're on the right subscription, which you need to be on business standard, you can't be on business starter and use my drive for your company files. You got to use shared drives. That's kind of its own can of worms <laughs> that we could unpack, but there are t- certain types of folders that you need to use. And that just needs to be, this is the place when we're working on files, like when we're working on a team, it's incredibly rare. You're doing something that doesn't affect other people and that, that no one else is going to need those sorts of things that no one else is ever going to look at. That's what goes in my drive. And we go in shared drives into the folders that everyone else has access to or the people on your team or your group or whatever. That's where we go to put all of our stuff. And that's just the standard. And you'll see the naming convention and you need to follow it. So shared drives are things that we're all working on. And this is where you're going to work. And this is where you're expected to store things. Even if it's an estimate for a client that may or may not buy, let's make sure that it's all in there. Because what if you're sick? And then no one else can get to that estimate. We just have to think about the organization as a whole, not just our individual preferences and what you think is is important. I think I made this saying up. I hope I did. But if somebody has come up with it before me, correct me. But I, at some point, said to myself and then said it out loud, well, every tradition was new at some point. So even the we've always done it this way people learned it from somebody who then made it up because it was new, because history is a long, long line. Sean, there's a lot of different things that you do, and I'd love for you to maybe point people to where's the best place to find out more about the digital organizer, you and your team, and how they can help. I know there's a lot of people out there who need this. In fact, I will confess, I see my desktop here peeking out from under the (laughs) camera of looking at you while we're talking, and I see a bunch of different files, but again, I don't leave it that way all the time. It just kind of builds up a little bit and then I fix it. So even I can use help here, but I know a lot of others can as well. So let's point them to the right place. Yes. So uh, you can go to the digitalorganizer.com slash to-do list. From there, I've got a free resource for you of what does that process look like to do some consolidation and reorganization and things like that. So you can actually see what that looks like, put it into practice for yourself. And if it's something that you think you could use some help with, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, you can reach out to us from there and we can have a call and see what you need help with. 
Perfect. Sean, it's been great talking with you again. I'm sure that as things change and there's new things that come up, we'll collaborate some more. But uh, for now, this has been a great resource and a great touchstone on digital organization like we've not had, I think, on this show before. So thank you for being the expert. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, just a pleasure hanging with you and talking about this stuff. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Sean Lemon like I did. I know it can be a bit nerdy to talk about digital organization and working in spaces that honestly are just not analog, but hey, that's what we're all doing these days. And we are not really taking the time to organize our communication workspaces, our organizational workspaces when it comes to all the things that are digital. If this woke you up, if you found this helpful, I am sure there's somebody else you know needs to hear this. Would you do me a favor? Share this episode with them. Hit that share button wherever you're listening to this, your podcast player app of choice, or head on over to beyondthetodolist.com and share it from there. That's also where you can drop your email in to get the newsletter that goes along with this podcast. Again, you'll get a recap of the latest episodes, links to related episodes you might have missed, my top three weekly finds to supercharge your productivity and other exclusive content that is coming. You can find all of that in the newsletter by dropping your email in at beyondthetodolist.com. Thanks again for sharing this episode. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next episode.